be doing, and that's just messing with me big time. I'll wind up preaching for two hours if I look at that clock. <laughs> Fix it, Curtis. Uh, quickly, if you've got a Bible with you, open it to Luke chapter chapter 10. If you have a blue Bible, it's on, I want to say page 508. I wrote it in my notes later on, but I'm giving you a heads up. Uh, blue Bible, I believe it's page 508, and we're going to come to that. We're going to start a new series today called Everyone Always, but first I just want to say praise Jesus for today. Like, anybody agree with me? Praise Jesus for today? Um, because, well, there's a lot of reasons. It's the only one we get, right? It's the only day we get today, but today is the day they give me back my hour that they stole from me last spring, and I'm keeping my eyes open this year because I'm not letting those guys take that hour away from me again. It's so nice having it back. Uh, but what it means for you is that right now, for the last several months, this has been when we go home. And so I see many of you are already tuning out and ready to go home. It was like, yeah, I got an extra hour of sleep. Now I'm starting to get hungry. How many of you are starting to get a little hungry? Um, let me ask, is there any donuts left out there? Yeah. Dale, do you know? Is there donuts left? Yeah. Russ, would you do me a favor? Would you go grab that platter of donuts and bring it back in here? As many as will be there. So Russ will be passing out donuts in the next few minutes. If you want one, you're going to have to get your hand up when he comes in. Because I want to prevent you from getting a hangry. Because what I have to say today is maybe one of the most important sermons I have ever preached. Maybe one of the most important things in the whole Bible that we need to hear and receive this morning. And the thing is, we're going to be coming from a part of the Bible that we're all very familiar with. In fact, even Christians who aren't familiar with the Bible, or not Christians, even people who are not Christians who are not familiar with the Bible, know this story to some degree because we talk about the Good Samaritan and Good Samaritan laws and things like that. So it's going to be familiar with all of us. Uh, Here at Pullman Foursquare, we have two big things we focus on. Okay, here's your moment. Here comes Russ. He's looking like, and you can tip your waiter. Uh, if you want a donut, raise your hand. This is not normal. There we go. There we go. I got some folks wanting some donuts. Please try not to get it into the blue Bibles. It won't open again to this page. So we want it to be able to go back here. So here comes the donut. So we talk about two big things here at Pullman Foursquare. Does anybody know what they are? Because we've really refined them this year. Let's see if anybody can say, what are the two big things we focus on? Oh, you're raising your hand for a donut. See, this is confusing. She's like, I don't know. Two big things we focus on, donuts and donuts. Right? Does anybody know the two big things? What? Love the Lord. That's saying it. It's, it's part of it. That's the verse that it comes from. So trust Jesus. It was Janice, my associate pastor. Good job, Janice. Trust Jesus and love everyone always. Okay, that's, this is a, there's a lot of ways to say this, but we talk about trusting Jesus and loving everyone always, and we've been focusing a whole lot on trusting Jesus lately because I mean, how many of you know it's difficult to trust Jesus? I can't. Oh, that was just mean. So many levels. Uh, anyway, how many of you know it's hard to trust Jesus in today's day and age? Okay, people are still like, donut, 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 donut. Let me, let me ask the question again. How many of you know it's hard to trust Jesus today? I got Doug. I got a few people. It is. It is hard to trust Jesus and we spend a lot of time talking about it, and, and here's what it looks like. So when we say trust Jesus with your money, we're talking about being generous. Generous with our life, generous with our finances, generous with God, generous with other people, giving until it hurts. When we talk about trusting Jesus with our children, it looks like learning to parent well and to, to set aside how we think what needs to be done to learn a better way, to keep focusing and growing and learning. 
We learn to trust Jesus with our past. That looks like going back to go forward, looking at the family history, the brokenness of the generations behind us, looking at how we were raised and not going, oh, I've got daddy issues or I've got mommy issues or whatever, but we're looking at going, that was that. It was bad. Jesus wants to intervene in my life so I don't pass it on to somebody else. Trusting Jesus with your past. Trusting Jesus with our emotions looks like learning to use them properly, learning to not manipulate people, learning to speak the truth and love, learning to, to say what we mean and mean what we say, to make our yes our yes and our no our no. This isn't even the sermon. This is the stuff that we've been talking about, all right? And the reason that we say trust Jesus is so important is because we know that when we trust Jesus, we find hope. Wherever Jesus is, there is, I like the answers up behind me here thanks to Sarah. Like, this is the first time I've ever been quoted like this. So here it is. Wherever, where there is Jesus, there is hope, right? We believe that Jesus is our hope. He's our only hope. And it's not just, it's not just an empty hope, but it's a real hope. And when we find that hope, we find more than just hope. We find joy where there should be just happiness. It's something that transcends it. I, oh, thanks. It's a gluten-free Chips Ahoy. It was nice, but if I eat it, I won't be able to talk. Uh, get back into my, oh, my groove. Anybody seen the Emperor's New Groove? Yeah. The Groove. Sorry. So you got to watch the movie. you got to go see it. It's great. Um, has witchcraft in it, so that's awesome. Uh, anyway, where was I at? I, I was like, in a groove, and it's gone, thanks to Chips Ahoy. All right, so where we find Jesus, there is hope. Where there should be none, we find joy. Where we might just have happiness. When we have anxiety, when we trust Jesus, we find peace. To follow Jesus is to trust him and to obey him in everything and in all that we have. We have to love God with all we've got. That's what trusting Jesus is all about. So now we're going to look at the second thing, to love everyone always. It's going to be explored in the next couple of weeks, and it's going to be a very short series, even though I think it's going to be really important because we want to cover a couple of topics that we don't normally talk about here at Pullman Foursquare. And it's going to be a little intense. I'm calling you to be brave and to trust me, your pastor, and uh, to disagree with me if you need to. But we're going to talk about some really awesome stuff. So I hope you'll just pray for me this next week um, as we enter into this stuff, okay? So we're going to be looking at loving everyone always today. And we're coming from the passage of the Good Samaritan. And you've probably heard it 150 times if you've come to church in your life. And so this morning, I'm asking you to open your ears, not to just tune out like, oh, I know that sermon. I'm already there because I think Jesus has something new for us in it this morning. It's called the Great Commandment. It's recorded three times in the four Gospels. You guys aware of how this works? So the stories of Jesus have been recorded four separate times by four separate men. Uh, They were men that wrote these things down, and uh, they were mostly people that followed Jesus immediately. Like Some of them were walking with Jesus at the time. Others were just after he had gone, and they're recording the stories of the disciples and people who had been with him. So there's four separate books within the Bible that contains this stuff. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... John, I'm trying to engage you guys, so you've got to work with me here. Thank you. It was was delayed, but we're there. Okay. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels, four stories of Jesus, and they all have very similar stuff in them, okay? John is kind of the outlier. He takes a whole different look on what happened with Jesus. It's a great book. If you've never read the Bible, I encourage you, start with John. He's going to talk a lot about love. Uh, The other three are really similar to one another. And this particular story... This particular question that is being asked is found in three of the four books. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And here's how it kind of goes. In the book of Matthew, some Bible experts were trying to trap Jesus, okay? They're like, like, we're all about the law. We know all this stuff about the law. So let's trip this guy up and see what he knows about the law. So they say to him, Jesus, which of all of the laws is the greatest? So they're thinking like, oh, is he going to say don't murder because then he's not honoring his father and mother? And he's going to say honor your father and mother. He's like, well, then is it okay to commit adultery? So they're going to trap him in this philosophical, logical argument where there doesn't seem to be an up or down or right or wrong. And so Jesus looks at him, and the the word that they asked very specifically, and you need to know this, is they said, which is the mega command? That's the Greek, mega. You guys know what that word, like mega blocks, the big ones? It's like, what is the biggest, most important mega command in all of the Bible? And Jesus, he just, no big deal. I'll answer that. He says, what is the greatest commandment in all the law? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Trust Jesus. The second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love everyone always. I love how he goes on in this passage to say this. He says, all of the law and the prophets, so that's everything to the left of this passage in your Bibles, it all hangs on these two things. He's saying that these two things, loving God and loving your neighbor, is a tree. And all of the laws hang from it. All of the things that God commanded in the Old Testament weren't just to make us feel angry or bad or not have fun. It was about being able to love God well and to love our neighbor well. That's what the whole Old Testament teaching is about. So I just took some of the fear out of that Old Testament because it feels fiery and hard. But in the end, what's happening is Jesus is teaching us how to love him and how to love our neighbor. Now we go on to, uh, we go to the book of, I see, Matthew, Mark. Go to Mark. The second time we see the commandment in the book of Mark. Now here, the question is different. Each time this story is told in the three Gospels, there's a twist. So this first twist, they ask him, they say this, so of all of the commandments, which one is most important? The Greek word here is not mega, not greatest, biggest, largest. It's proto, like prototype the first. Another way we could uh, define this is prime. How many of you are Star Trek fans? Okay, all five of us are going to get this. It's going to be awesome. You never try to use an illustration for five people. It's just never good. So in Star Trek, they have this thing called the prime directive. And what that is, it's the command, the order that goes above every other order that's given. So if a captain gives an order to the people on his starship to blow up that other starship, they all have to ask themselves, does this mess with the prime directive, which is to do no harm and not mess with species and people that don't know anything about spaceships. I know the whole TV series blows it for me. I mean, it just... So anyway, prime directive. That's what this is. It's the prime directive. It's the one command that trumps all other commands. They say, so what is the prime directive, Jesus? And Jesus answers this way. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the greatest commandment, the biggest commandment, the baseline for biblical living, the prime directive, the the one command that comes above and beyond all other commands, is this, to love God and to love our neighbor. But Luke's telling of the story is the one that gives us the biggest twist. 
And this is where we're going to settle in. So Luke chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles, just open it there. I'm going to read part of it to you. Luke chapter 10, we're going to be reading verses 25 through 28, just three of them. <clears throat> and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to the man, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Did you guys catch the big twist? Did you catch it? He's not being asked, What's the most important commandment? He's not asked, What's the prime directive? He says, What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, some of us are squirming in our seats right now saying, wait a minute, that sounds like work-based, that was work-based salvation, that what I have to do to be saved is to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love my neighbor as myself. It's something I have to do. But it's all about grace, right? That's what it says in Romans. By grace you have been saved. Hold on with Jesus here for a little bit, okay? Just hold on and trust Jesus in this moment. Jesus says to the man, you nailed it. What do you got to do to be saved? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, all of your heart, all of your inward being, all of that's important to you. Love God with the things that are most important and deeply you. All of your soul, the breath, that's what the word soul literally means, the breath that was breathed into you by God. Love God with that breath that he has given you. All of your strength, we're not just talking about your bodily muscles, we're talking about your power your earthly power, your authority as a manager, as a boss, as a parent, to love God because you're a white man and carry power in this world, to love God as an American in a, in a world global cult culture that gives us power just by our flag. How do you love God with your power? And love God with all of your mind. And it's talking about not just the things you think about. It's not just talking about thinking about good thoughts. He's talking about your imagination, the things that you dream up, when you think about how to fix things and solve problems, when you learn, when you pursue an education, how do you love God pursuing your education? How do you love God inventing something to solve a problem? That's what it's talking about. Love God with all of these things and then to love your neighbor as yourself. The text, though, says that the man didn't really like the answer that he gave himself. It's really kind of funny because that's the other twist here. In this one, Jesus asked the man, what's the law? And the man responds. And the guy didn't like it. He wants to ask a clarifying question. You guys ever had one of those when you're sitting and you're like, get kind of uncomfortable, like, what did you mean by this? So he asks Jesus a clarifying question. He says, and who is my neighbor? Now, we're going to come back to that. This guy got really upset, I think, about Jesus' answer here in a minute. But as I was reading the text, I came to this thing. I said, I had my own clarifying question. I'm like, Jesus, what did you mean by loving. What does it mean to love somebody? Because that's really ambiguous in our culture, right? So if, if we talk about love, most of us start with feelings, right? We begin with a feeling. What is love? It's, it's a feeling. It might be passion. We make love. It might be the cougs. I love the cougs. I was waiting for a response. Some of you are still a little hungover from the game last night. It was like, Yay, go Cougs at 3 o'clock in the morning. 
It might be a feeling of pleasure. It might be a romantic feeling. I mean, all of these things are kind of ambiguous, and they, we use love in so many different ways. We love coffee. We love the cougs. We love our car. We love our kids. We love our wives. We, I mean, all of these things, from a thing to a person, we say, I love it. So what does Jesus mean when he says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor? And how is it that he can say that this is the greatest commandment? Because here's the thing. I don't think Jesus meant any of these things. I think what he meant is all of them and more. And here's why. Because you can't command love. Did you ever think about that? You can't command love. You're like, wait a minute. Jesus did. He just commanded it. He did it, so maybe you can. I don't think you can. You can't command love. Let's try a little experiment. You ready? Are you ready? I know it's noon yesterday, but it's still 11 o'clock today. Come on, stay with me, folks. Here we go. Right now, I want everyone in this room to be happy. Go. I got one person that maybe it worked for. It did, yeah, he needs another donut. It's like, I might, yeah, you can't just tell me to do it, but give me the ability to do it with a donut, and I'm there. So it didn't work. Let me try another one. I want everyone right here, right now, to like me. There you go. That's harder. It doesn't work because I can't command your feelings. I can't. None of us can. We can't command our children to feel a certain way. We can't command our, our significant others, our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends. We can't command them to feel a certain way. We can't even command our dogs to feel a certain way. We're like, love me, Dexter, love me. And well, he does it because he just does, but not because I ordered him to, because it's the greatest thing in the world when I come home. Don't know why, but it is. It's really awesome. Everybody should have a dog. Amen. Amen. You can't command somebody to feel a certain way. So what is love if it's not a feeling? Because it's been commanded. Well, Webster's Dictionary, uh, the know-all of all things, right? Webster's Dictionary lists nine separate definitions for love. Nine separate. It's not a wonder love is ambiguous for us. Nine definitions just for the noun of love. That's not the verb, the adjective, the adverb, or dangling participle, or whatever things that they can put in there. For just for the noun, nine different, uh, trans, nine, nine different definitions. There it is. The first one, number one, is romantic feelings, the love that you feel for your spouse. Number two is love for the cougs. It's in there. Check it out. Love for the cougs, number two. Passion is number seven. But here is number four, and I think this is what Jesus is getting at. Number four is unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. You guys got that? Did I put it up there? I did. Unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. Jesus said it like this. He said, greater love has no man than he lays down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's how his love for us was displayed. He gave his life on our behalf, lifting us up where we couldn't, saving us where we couldn't save ourselves. Love is doing what is best for another person, no matter what it costs you. You guys get that? Love is doing what is best for someone else, no matter what it costs you. That's what love is all about. That's what love is, doing what is best for someone else, no matter what it costs you. So let's think about how to love like that, just a little bit. First part is to love God with all you've got. It's the mega command to love God with everything that you have in your heart, feelings, thoughts, mind, strength, power, 
just to do it with everything that you have, is to love God, how would we do that in a way that is best for God? You ever thought about that? How do you love God in a way that is best for God? It's very simple. It would mean doing what he asks. It would mean doing what God wants to do. Love is more than a feeling, and if love is doing what is best for others, it looks like doing what God wants to do. It means we do what he, ha- he asks. We ask in a situation, a hurt, a heartache, a failure, a job loss, or a promotion. You say, God, what do you want in the midst of this for me, and what do you want me to do? And then we do it. It's very simple. We obey. When we do what God wants, we are loving him because it costs us something. If you doubt that, consider these words from Jesus from John chapter 14. He says this, and this is like in three or four different places in this chapter, John 14. He says this, if you love me, keep my commands. Whoever keeps my commands is the one who loves me. He says, you know that you love me by obeying. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. It's very simple. We love God best by obeying him. Jesus repeats it over and over again. If you love me, obey my commands. Scott McKnight is a biblical scholar and an author. He's writing this, wrote this book called The Blue Parakeet. It's a fabulous book about how we read the Bible, and I recommend it. And he tackles this idea of the inerrant word of God. And I know many of us believe in an inerrant word of God, that this Bible has no errors. This is exactly what God has intended for us to have, to know who he is. And he says this about this concept of the inerrant word. He says, what good is it to believe that the Bible is inerrant if you don't obey it? Because so many of us don't. We believe that this is God's breathed word. It's inspired. And yet we don't obey it. And yet we choose not to follow it because it's difficult It's the harder road. It's the harder way in life. But Jesus repeats it over and over and over again. If you love me, you'll obey me. And that's why when we teach you to read the Bible, we teach you to ask the question, what can I obey? What can I obey? It's the simplest way to read the Bible. Not what does it mean, not how does this affect the world. What can I do? What can I obey in this to follow Jesus, to show my love? we want to love God, we do what he commands us to do. A little illustration from from my marriage, actually. Uh, This is totally made up. This would never, ever happen, and you'll see why. So let's say that the kids are all hanging out at their friend's house for the night, okay, on a Friday night. And my wife says to me, hey, the kids are going to be gone this Friday night. Let's go on a date and then hang out and have a night just to ourselves. But before that had happened, I came up with this idea. This Friday night, I'm going to hang out with my buddies. We're going to go see that action movie that I've always wanted to see. Heidi's like, you're already off the rails. None of this ever happens because I don't do that. But let's just say I did. There was a new action movie out, and I wanted to go see it. And so my wife says, I've got this plan. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. We're going to go watch this movie this Friday night. Plans change. My wife says, let's have a date. Let's have a date night. If I love my wife, which I do, what would be the thing to do? cancel with my friends, and go out with my wife. Actually, I was thinking take my wife to the action movie with my friends, but no, kidding. (laughs) Because I love my wife, I want to do what she wants to do. Now, that illustration breaks down right here. What if the person that you love wants something that's bad for you? 
What if the thing they want to do harms you or harms them? What if the things that they're wanting to do, your friends, the people you care about, are bringing you in a place that is destroying you, your faith, your health, your mind, your heart? So is loving them going with them anyway? Not exactly. Here's, that's the big problem with this illustration. But here's the thing about God. Whatever God wants for you is absolutely what is best for you. You can stand on that. You can hold to that. It is absolutely true that when God is laying down a blueprint for the new family of God and he's calling you to live in it and move in it in Deuteronomy chapter 10, this is what, what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, my paraphrase. He says, what I'm asking all of you to do now that you've come out of slavery is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and to keep the commandments that I am about to give you for your own good. God's not sitting up there going, I need to make this hard on them. I'm going to make this hard. He's, no, he's good. He loves us and he cares about us and he gives us his commandments for our own good. So when God wants us to do something, we want to love him by obeying him, knowing that what he wants is good. Now, what about feelings? Shouldn't we feel something for God? Shouldn't we? Seems like we ought to, but we can't command our feelings. We can't walk into church on Sunday morning and go, man, the band is really hot this morning, but I'm just not feeling it. I, I, come on, feelings, let's do this thing. Come on, feelings, let's, let's feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Come on, feelings, let's get into worship this day. We can talk to ourselves, but we can't command our emotions and our feelings. So here's the key. When we follow God and we obey his commands, our ob- obedience to him will lead to, eventually, feelings of love for God. So if you're not feeling it right now, keep obeying, because the feelings will come. If you're not, you're just not, I'm just not in touch with the Spirit right now. It's not, it, it could be the moment, it could be life. And this happens to all of us. So if you're a new Christian, I want you to know, you will come to a day where you don't feel the presence of God in worship because our feelings are not commandable. But God's presence is still here. God still wants what's good for you. And we worship anyway. And as we obey, the feelings will follow. So now here's the second part of this command. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. We love God by obeying him. Very simple. The second part is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus explains to this man his answer. So my big question was, what is love? His big question is, who is my neighbor? And he tells this famous story of good, the Good Samaritan. And I remember I said asking, the guy asking the question didn't like this story very much. Let me show you why. And since most of you are really familiar with this story, you've already heard it like a thousand times, you've read it a whole bunch, I'm going to retell it, and mostly kind of in today's day and age a little bit, all right? Because this is a story that is meant to be felt. It's not just meant to be heard. It's not meant to be read. We've been reading this for a long time, but Jesus didn't write it. He spoke it. And it's meant to be heard, and our imagination is to come alive, and we're meant to see ourselves in the story. All right? So I'm going to invite you to put yourselves in the story. And here's how Jesus told it. He said, Once upon a time, there was a man, and he was traveling to a Cougars football game. In fact, it was the Apple Cup. Big deal game, right? He was traveling. He is, he's really smart, and so he wanted to skip all of that traffic coming into town. You know, he, so he went out via Albion someplace, and he is out driving through the, the back country of the hills where there's just dirt roads and deer and nobody else for miles and miles. And he's out there in his big red truck with the Cougars license plate. The flags are waving and it's, it's, it's an awesome day. And he is just, he is primed. He is ready because we're going to go crush the Huskies. Do I get an amen? 
All right, so you guys are in the story now, right? So he is out driving his truck, and he comes up over this hilltop, and just down the rise, he sees a car off the side of the road. And there's a woman standing out in front of that car, and it is broken down, and she looks like she's fiddling with it. And being the good coog that he is, he is kind-hearted and generous, and he wants to help. So he pulls his truck over. He gets out. He walks around to the front of the car, and suddenly, out of nowhere, somebody with a tire iron whacks him in the back of the head, knocks him out, throws him into the street. He, like, tries to get up, and then he starts to fight. These two guys jump him. They beat him up, and then they, he's knocked unconscious, and he's laying in the middle of the road, bleeding to death. And in that moment, those two guys, they search his pockets. They take his, his credit cards, his wallet, his keys, all of his identification, even the pocket change, and they hop in his truck, back in the other car, and they drive away, leaving the man for dead. That is not how a coog should be treated. Amen? So he is laying in the middle of the road, dying. Now, Jesus says in his story that a rabbi comes by first. And in our day and age, what that would be, would be a man driving in a late-modeled silver Toyota Corolla with a sticker in the window that says Pullman Foursquare Church. (laughs) Now, if you're hearing this story, you're thinking, hooray, Pastor Jamie is the hero of the story. He's going to swoop in and save the coog from dying in the street. But Pastor Jamie drives up, and he sees him. He pulls off to the edge, and he's like, he's going to get out, and he's going to rescue him. He rolls down the window, and he looks at the man dying, rolls up the window, and drives away really fast. No good. Pastor Jamie was pretty lousy in that moment. Then Jesus says, a second person comes along. This person's driving a red Subaru. (laughs) And only three people in the room know who that is. That's a red Subaru full of sheep stuff. It's Pastor Janice. It's a Levite in the story. This is an assistant to the pastor, okay? Assistant to the rabbi. So the Levite comes. It's, it's Pastor Janice, and she drives up, and she pulls up to the other side and rolls down her window and looks out, and everybody's thinking, yay, Jamie must have had a funeral to run to. He must have had somebody dying in the hospital, so he called Pastor Janice. Pastor Janice is coming to the rescue. She's going to dump all the sheep stuff out of her car and put that guy in there and take him to the hospital. But Pastor Janice looks, looks at her watch, rolls up the window, and peels out, gone. This man is literally dying in the street. Now we start to hear a car engine coming down the road. And it's not just any car engine. It's an old truck, an old purple truck, with a big W on the side of it, with great big purple husky flags waving. And the license plate says Husky 1. He is painted purple and gold, He is a diehard Husky fan. Here he is. This man is driving up over the rise, comes down the other side, the enemy of the Cougs, and he sees this man lying in the road, and he pulls over. And it turns out he's a paramedic. He gets out of the car, he does CPR and first aid, and he stops the bleeding, and he looks at his, his, his phone and knows how far away it is and realizes there's no way this guy is getting in an ambulance. So he pulls him into his immaculately clean truck, slides him up onto the seat. There's blood everywhere. There's dirt. There's snot. It's horrible. This guy is dying. He tears out of there in his big husky truck, drives him all the way to the ER here in Pullman. He takes him and brings him into the ER, and he says, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what happened, but he has been beaten to an inch of his life. He is going to die if you don't help him. And here's the thing. This is my credit card. I am paying his bill. 
I am going to pay. Have you guys ever seen an emergency room bill? Those things are stupid insane. So he's got this emergency room bill, and he says, I will pay it, and I will pay any expenses. If he has to stay in the hospital for a month, I'll pay it out of my own pocket. Don't even put this on insurance. I've got it covered. He's an enemy. What was that? Oh, yeah, he just got the bill. (laughs) There it is. There's the bill. This is the story that Jesus tells this man. But it's kind of brought in today a little bit. But here's the thing. As big of a rival between the Huskies and the Cougs is, as nasty as the Huskies are, as horrible and evil as, you know, everybody that lives around UW is, it's not anywhere near the feeling that Jesus wanted us to have. It's not anywhere near the feeling that the man who was hearing this story had because he used a Samaritan. And in that day and age, the Samaritan was a person of a different race, of a different religion. They were seen as heretics. They were seen as the enemy. In fact, people, Jews and Samaritans, didn't walk through one another's land because you would have gotten beaten up. A few years ago, like 10 years ago, I took my father-in-law to the Apple Cup, and he is a diehard Husky. Everybody says, boo. Yeah, so there's a slow moan. He is a Husky, I know, but Jesus loves the Huskies too. And he came with me, and we were walking across campus, and we started getting bottles thrown at us, and people were shouting, where's your cougar colors? Where's your cougar colors? And I'm like unzipping my jacket because it's freezing. It's like almost snowing. And I'm like, Mike, I got my sweatshirt on right here. And they're like, oh, okay, go Cougs. And my father was like, oh, go Cougs and keeps walking. He was scared to death that he was going to get beaten up. And that's what this was like. The Samaritans would have felt like they're going to get beaten up walking through Jewish territory. If Jesus was telling this story in this day and age, If Jesus was telling this story in Israel, you know who the enemy would be? A Palestinian. If Jesus was telling this story in America, I think the Samaritan would have been a member of ISIS. If Jesus was telling this story in the south of America in the 1960s, it would have been a black man helping a white man. Or vice versa, a white man standing up to help a black man. If he was telling it in Washington, D.C., it would be a Republican in the street and a Democrat helping him. Or if you're like, yeah, of course the Democrats would help him, it would be a Democrat in the street and Donald Trump helping him, okay? <laughs> Depends on which side of the aisle you're on, who the enemy is. It might be a great big rapper. It might be a drug dealer. That is who had mercy on this man. And when he's done asking this, or telling this story... This man is feeling it in his gut. He's really unhappy about it. And Jesus says, so who is this? Who acted as a neighbor? Who do you say? And the man says, you know, the answer is, can we all just say it? It's the Samaritan. That's the answer, right? Who acted as a neighbor? The Samaritan. This man couldn't even say Samaritan. He couldn't even spit out those words. He was so upset by the story. All he could say is, the one who showed compassion the one who showed compassion, not the Samaritan. Jesus made a point of saying it was the Samaritan, his enemy. And Jesus said to this, said him to, the, said to him this, go and act like him. Go and act like your enemy who has compassion on your neighbor. That's who your neighbor is. It's astounding. It's humbling. Who is my neighbor? It's not just those who are like me. It's those who are different from me, a different race, 
a different religion, a different class, a different culture, a different gender, a different age, a different sexuality. All of these things that we define ourselves as, your neighbor is somebody who is not like that. And loving your neighbor neighbor, means to do what's best for them no matter what it costs you. And Jesus says that we should always be this way. This is our prime directive. This is our greatest commandment. This supersedes going and preaching the gospel. This supersedes all of the Old Testament commands to live this way, to take a Sabbath or do this. You are to live in love toward those who are not like you. So how do we love our neighbor? It's doing what's best for other people no matter what it costs you. Loving is doing. Jesus preached a message another way in Matthew chapter 7. He said, So in everything, do unto others as you would have them done to you. For it sums up the laws and the prophets. What do we call that? It's the golden rule, right? The golden rule. Do what you want other people. You do to other people what you want them to do to you. Treat them like you want to be treated. You do it for them because you want what's best for them. If you want to be treated with respect, what do you have to do? Treat everybody around you with respect. If you want to be treated with kindness when you're in need, what do you need to do? Treat other people kindly when they're in need. If you want somebody to step up and help you out when you're lying in the street beaten up, what do you need to do? Step up and help out when somebody else is lying in the street. And to do it in everything, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We get caught up in looking for our own power, pursuing our own degrees and our own thoughts, and we're not loving one another well as we do it. Jesus is saying that this is how Christians should live, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Really? Do we get it right all the time? No. Do I get it right all the time? No. What do we do? When we blow it, when we're supposed to be loving someone, Jesus is like, love your neighbor, love your enemy. Don't hate those ISIS guys, love them, even though they're trying to hurt you. Love them. Don't hate the president. He may be nasty, he may be mean, love him. Don't hate the Democrat opposition. They may be nasty, they may be mean, love them. How do we do it when we, what happens when we blow it? When we say something unkind or mean? Well, what we do is we apologize. We say, I'm sorry. We give ourselves grace. We make this a space of grace for where we fail to love one another, that we can say, I'm sorry, and we can receive forgiveness from each other, and that we could be a community of forgiveness and reconciliation, and we can stand up and try again. That's what the church is meant to be. A space of grace where we can forgive and love and fail and get up and try again. I hope I've convinced you that loving everyone always is something that Jesus has called us to. I believe that Tim Keller recently, he wrote this. He says, there are certain needs that only you can see. There are some hands that only you can hold. And there are some people that only you can reach. And this is why the call to love everyone always goes to each and every single one of us. It can't be the pastor only loving his neighbor or his physical neighbors as himself. It has to be every believer here because there are some people that only you will be able to love. There are some people in this world that my own brokenness 
causes me to have the hardest time to love them well. They make me upset in ways nobody else does. And Jesus is working on me in that. But it doesn't bother you, Doug. It doesn't bother you at all. That thing, and, and you can touch them in a way that I can't because Jesus is working in me in a different way. We need each other. We need each other as a community to love everyone always. You are one in seven billion unique. The world needs you to love everyone always. So here's what we're going to do for closing this morning. We're going to do kind of a two-part deal. The first part is I want to take a minute of silence, and I want you to think about this story of the Good Samaritan. And I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, if you were speaking this story to me right now, because he is, who is my Samaritan? Who is the person that I struggle to love that you are calling me to love? And God, what can I do about it? I'm going to give us a full minute of silence just to ponder that. And I believe that Jesus is going to reveal to you somebody that you need to learn to love. Jesus, I pray you'd open our hearts and our minds and you'd speak to us in this moment. In your name, amen. on your heart, would you just ask Jesus to help you to love them well? To do what's best for them no matter what it costs you? There's an ancient practice in the church. It's called the prayer of confession. And they do this in a lot of liturgical churches. And we're not a liturgical church, but we're going to do it anyway, just to despite, just despite liturgical and non-liturgical churches. We're just going to steal it right from them, okay? You guys with me? Uh, they gave it to me then. So what we are going to do is we're going to pray a written prayer of confession. And it is an ancient prayer. It's been being spoken in churches for over a thousand years. And uh, if you turn, tune into King FM live tonight at 9.30, you can hear some monks chanting this. And it goes something along these lines. We confess to God Almighty that we have sinned in thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And as we engage this topic of loving everyone always, we want to be in a space where we can stand together as a church and just confess, uh, God, there are people in this world that I have not loved well. I have not treated well. 
And I confess to you first and foremost, because it's you that I've sinned against, because these are image bearers. This is your image that I have sinned against. And so I want to invite you, would you stand with me in this moment? We're going to close with this, and we're going to sing the doxology. I'm going to get you out of here 10 minutes early on a day where we got an extra hour of sleep, because I know you were all starving, and you want to eat. And don't eat my seats, because we only have so many of them, all right? So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to our hearts as we hold this person, these, these people, these people groups even, that we have struggled to love well. And we hold them before you, and we confess to you, Jesus. I'm going to have it up here on the screen, prayer of confession. Go ahead and go there. Merciful God, say this out loud with me, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. Strengthen us in all goodness by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. And now I say to you, go in the grace of the Lord and in his power to walk in his love because Jesus loves you. Knowing that this is a space of grace to try and to fail, but we live in the power of the Spirit who gives us the power to do all things. And we walk knowing that we love one another as we love ourselves. And Heidi and I love you too. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in God's grace this morning. Say hi to somebody. You got time to hang out if you don't have to rush and grab dinner, lunch, whatever it is. Amen.